This is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hey, everybody. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 267, recorded on Monday, May the 2nd, 2016. Welcome to May, Jason, first of all. May the second be with you. That doesn't quite work uh, as you intended, but may the second be with you too. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're close to Star Wars Day, but not quite there yet. That's in a couple of days, May the 4th. I am sure I can convince my children to watch Star Wars that evening and celebrate. You think so? They love the new Force Awakens movie. Oh, have they seen it six times? At least, maybe 12. Have you seen it six times? I've seen it quite a few times. I saw it once in the theater and that was it. Well, I've seen it twice in the theater and at least eight or ten times at home because they enjoy it a lot and so do I. So Super. Good good stuff. Um, all right. So we are here, of course, to do our weekly podcast about Fear of the Walking Dead. We're going to be talking about episode four tonight. But uh, and, and before that, we're going to do some listener feedback about last week's episode, as we have been known to do. Cool. Um, and then, of course, feedback about this week's episode. But first, I just want to bring up the podcast awards one more time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by that, I mean the second time, because really, we only mentioned it last week. Um, and, and I asked everyone to go and nominate us, which I know a lot of people did. We are officially eligible for a podcast war award, but I don't know yet if we are nominated in the TV and film category. We won't find that out until May 22nd. I have high hopes. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I was hoping you'd have some sort of hopes. <laughs> <laughs> I do have high hopes. All right. I don't have any expectations. I just have hopes. All right. Um, the awards are a little bit different this year. Uh, apparently they're in some financial trouble. (laughs) (laughs) That's always, that's always a bad sign. It's a bad sign. Yeah. Um, but I hope they can survive. There is a, a Kickstarter project underway to, to help them, you know, get relaunch and get back on their feet, I guess. Um, so you can go and check that out if you want, but there will be podcast awards this year. I have been assured. (laughs) And, uh, I just wanted to thank everyone for going and nominating us. We'll see if we get an official nomination on May 22nd, and then we're going to have to bother everyone to vote for us. So, uh, we'll talk about that then though, but thanks everyone for nominating us. It's it's really difficult to uh, to budget for that slush fund for the awards ceremonies. <laughs> right. You know, when all the uh, the high muckety mucks and the officials show up at the awards ceremonies, they need uh you know kind of soft cash, soft amounts to be able to pay for incidentals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, you know, when uh, people travel to go to awards uh, awards shows out of town, there's there's incidental costs. You know, that are outside of like per diems or hotel right. costs. There's just there's add-ons uh, in order to make sure that the uh, uh, that the people's stay is as entertaining and as productive as it could possibly be. So, like providing complimentary shoe shines and stuff, so you look good. Your yeah. footwear looks good at the award ceremony. Yeah, and you know, you know, other other incidentals like hookers and blow. <laughs> Well, there's that. Of course, everyone needs to have a good time. Yeah, so that's what the you know the slush fund. You have to you have to budget for that, and uh, that can be uh, very taxing on your uh, your bottom line. It costs a lot of money to put on a big fancy awards show. So it really does because there's a lot of hookers and blow that uh, really needs to uh, to go into <laughs> awards ceremony uh, to get production. distributed. 
Yeah. <laughs> Amongst those who need it. Uh, all right. Well, I'm not so sure that's a big priority for the podcast award community, but who knows? What do I know? I've never won a podcast. Why award. else would you have an awards show? <laughs> That's really the only reason <laughs> not to honor and uh, recognize those who put their life in or their, you know, their life into the work they do and create something. No, no, no. For the hookers and cocaine. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways, uh, thanks to everyone who nominated us. <laughs> and we're going this year for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. If there's a budget for it, we're going. <laughs> we are going. Uh, All right. Let's take a look back at last week on Fear the Walking Dead. Let's look at the ratings. So, um, uh, as you know, Jason, the ratings were declining a little bit from episode one to two, and uh, that continued into episode number three. So just as a quick recap, episode one had 6.67 million. Episode two had 5.58. Episode three could not crack the 5 million po- uh, mark, unfortunately, with uh, 4.73. Wow. Still going down. Still going down. That's I mean, okay, yeah, it's it's okay. I mean, you know, I, I I say every week that's still an awful lot of viewers. It really <laughs> you know? is. Um, it's not compared to the main Walking Dead show, and there are some other shows that I guess get that many viewers. Not many, uh, but there are some. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, it'll be interesting to see where number four goes. Uh, but uh, I I sort of expect it to level out at a certain point. Like I don't think it's going to continue dropping. I mean, I guess anything's possible, but I'd be if at this rate, I mean, we'll be down to like a million viewers by the end of the season or less. And I, that's obviously not going to happen. No. So I think we're going to probably, we may have already gotten to that sort of level out point where, where it's not going to really drop too much. It may not even increase that much unless we're, we get a really exceptional season finale or something like that. So 4.73 million for episode three, and uh, we'll see next week what, what episode four did. We will. Now, speaking of episode four, uh, we've got some feedback about it. Uh, a bunch of things to talk about or that the listeners wanted to talk about regarding to last week's episode. I don't know if, if you guys can hear it in my voice. I, I was going to mention this off the top, but I feel like I might be getting sick. So I'm I'm feeling a little nasally and a little sore throaty. And I hope that's not coming across. But uh, now, I that I've po- notice. now that I've pointed it out, you know, everyone should listen for it. I, I didn't notice. I didn't, uh, I really didn't notice. So. All right. Well. So far, so good. I think so it's far. the uh, the pop filter you got going on there. I think it's filtering out all the nasally coffee, uh, you know, wheezy, sneezy, all the other dwarf stuff. But what if I talk like this around the pop filter? I shouldn't do that probably. No, you shouldn't do that. All right. That sounds weird. Okay. I won't do that ever again. Um, so here's some feedback for last week. Uh, now I, I wanted to make a point here before we jump in because of the different format of the podcast of our show here, when we do fear the walking dead, we don't do the feedback show in midweek, right? So when we're looking at feedback from last week, obviously we've already seen this week's episode. So some emails that we get relate to something that has either been resolved this week by the new episode or just that we have more information. So there's always some messages that I don't necessarily bring up on the show because we already know the answer to it or, or you know, for whatever reason, the, the recent episode has kind of given us more, shed some more light on a subject, for example. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to point that out for anyone who, you know, you don't hear your message. It's just because maybe either it was sort of the same as someone else's or just you know, something that was answered 
already in the latest episode. And I feel like that happened a few times this week, just relating to Strand and stuff like that. So um, please don't be offended and continue sending in your messages and I'll get as many on the air as I can. Super duper. Super duper. Travis in Ozark, Missouri writes, When Nick fell into the pit for absolutely no reason whatsoever, I did have to rage quit the show for about five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) When I saw him stand near the edge, I thought the writers would invent some super lame jump scare or mudslide to make him fall in. Instead, it was just 100% pure dumbassery. Listen, Nick, don't go kicking your foot over the edge of a mudslide with a zombie crab dinner at the bottom, you idiot. Yeah, you got to be careful on the edge of a precipice because sometimes you you fall in. (laughs) That's right, because you never know. Sometimes you just fall in, especially one that's on a beach with, you know, shifty sand and stuff like that. And I do kind of like how people have adopted the whole start a sentence with listen and end it with you idiot. Oh, I really like that. That makes people learn stuff. No, I write emails like that all day long. (laughs) To various coworkers and clients and things. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not your coworker or client. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. I'm just your coworker here on this podcast. And, yeah. Uh, so listen, <laughs> I've got something to say. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I I sort of agree with Travis in Ozark, Missouri. There that you sort of saw that coming as soon as he was, as he was standing on that ledge. You're like, well, he's going to fall in. Yeah. You know why else would he walk right up to the le- the edge like that? Um, and I'm glad Travis only rage quit the show for five minutes. He came back. Yeah. It's nice that, uh, when you, you can, you can rage, take a break, you know, rage, so you break know, the show. Yeah. Yeah. Rage, rage, take, take a breather, take, take, take a timeout. That's good. Every once in a while you need a timeout. Uh, along the same lines, Chrissy from Halifax, Christy, sorry, from Halifax writes, my issue is with the characters being stupid. Why did they drag their boat so far up the beach? Oh, so that when the horde chases them later, they have farther to go. Should I run from the zombies or stand here and shoot bullets at them? I'll stand here and waste bullets. Let me stand on the edge of this cliff and stare at this zombie. Oops, I fell. (laughs) Should should we run from the horde or hug? Let's stop and hug. Let's stop and hug. (laughs) So Christy is clearly calling everybody out for making dumbass decisions. And I'm of two minds of this. One... As I've said, I think every week, you've got to remember, and I have to remind myself of myself of this all the time, that these people are new to the apocalypse. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand how to deal with zombies yet, um, and they don't always think of the smartest course of action. So that can that can go a long way to explain what's going on here, don't you think? Uh, yes. I mean, bringing the boat up very very far on the beach obviously what they're trying to do is not have the incoming tide take it away depends on the uh how big the the tide is and when it's coming in and whether or not uh, it would simply just go you know take the boat back out to sea because the last thing you want is uh having a zombie zombie horde after you and you run down to the beach and ah shit my boat's gone because i left it just tied to a a leaf somewhere on the beach which <laughs> or a is a little pebble or a little pebble or whatever so your boat gets uh you know the uh the mother ocean takes it uh takes it away from you you mm-hmm. don't want that so you bring it far up onto the beach as you feel reasonably secure that uh mother ocean's not going to grab your boat no you're you're absolutely right that one i don't mind uh you, you know not having the boat would be far worse than having to drag it a few extra feet back into the ocean yeah right? Because not having a boat is uh, never as good as having a boat. That's right. Um, the, the thing about 
everything else though, like, or especially the one where, you know, standing there shooting at them instead of running or running and not being kind of aware of where the, where the cliff is and getting cornered and stuff like that. I sort of feel like my instinct, no matter what would be to run away, not to stand there and shoot. Oh yeah. Flee, 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 flee. Always flee. So I do agree with Christy that it's dumb that these people would, would try to shoot or try to fight back. It's like, you have a pretty good head start. run away. You see something scary, run away for the boat. I mean, it's, it doesn't make any sense that that wouldn't be their first instinct. I don't think. And I know it's already two weeks in and they've seen zombies before. Maybe the very first time ever you see a zombie, you'd run away. Um, but I'm pretty sure that you'd continue to do that until you were a pretty seasoned veteran zombie killer. Yeah. And I would, I would tend to treat a horde of zombies like a tornado with teeth. There's not a lot you can do to fight it. It's, and if it gets anywhere close to you, it's going to start biting you and it's going to be a pain in the ass. So, uh, find shelter, get the hell out of there, do something, get away from that TC tornado. <laughs> a tornado of teeth. That's a pretty good analogy. If, uh, <laughs> you know, if it, well, it, it's good. I, I think you can't um, fight it is my point. I was going to say swarm of bees because you can't really fight that either. No, you can't, you can't fight a swarm of bees. You, uh, you, you just got to think of it as a force of nature that can't mm. be reasoned with. It can't be, uh, I mean, you can fight it. You can rage against it. You can fight against it. But uh, depending on how big it is, uh, you're probably going to lose. Eventually, you're probably going to lose. That's right. This is, this is how I, uh, I learned to uh, grow up with my brother. I couldn't, uh, my brother was the kind of person where it was, he was very difficult to reason with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I treated my brother like a, uh, uh, like the bad, bad weather. It was just, it, sometimes it's really, really crappy and there's nothing you can do about it and getting mad at it doesn't really accomplish anything. And you just got to wait until it changes. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I never really got mad at my brother. I just treated him like the weather. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not so good. When it's not so good, I get mad. It's not going to do you any good. What can you do? Right. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, Sarah in Washington, D.C. writes, I think Daniel's character is interesting because he constantly uh, sees the living people as a threat way before the others do. But I think in the long run, he will find out that you need people not just to stay alive, but for psychological and emotional stability as well, just like the characters on the main show have figured out. The characters on the main show now have the skills to survive almost anything, but depend on each other to make life worth living. And what I liked about Sarah's point here is that she brings up the fact that Daniel really is the only one who sees, you know, living people as a threat. I mean, you could argue that Strand does too, but he's all about don't let them on the boat because we don't have the resources for them. You know, we, we have enough people on this boat already. And in fact, we learn a lot more about Strand this week, but Daniel seems to see everybody as, as a threat, not just because they're going to take valuable space on the boat. Yeah. Daniel's been like that since they left the land. So, uh, you know, the, the living people are the dangerous ones, and he's the one who seems to realize that. Yes. All right, Tim in California. Hey, guys. In the cold open, the characters from the plane crash seem to be in the middle of the open ocean. The implication was that they were impossibly far from land, had no access to water, and fairly doomed. The plane wreckage was in the water with them. Mysteriously, we later see virtually all of the plane on land. So where did this thing crash? If it crashes on land, but a bit near the water, why is it so hard for them to get off the raft? Okay. I mean, was it dark? 
well, we have to talk about the plane crash here a little bit. Um, and I'm going to read the next email too. It comes from Martin on the internet. And Martin writes, I want to reach out to you to point out something that bugged me in the last episode of Fear the Walking Dead. So from what we saw in Flight 462, the plane crashed around the time when the outbreak was sort of starting. Jake and Alex were able to board the plane when civilization was still a thing. However, a few weeks have passed, at the very least, since then. How did this plane dude survive two or three weeks strapped to a plane seat with his protruding spine? He would have probably died from dehydration, malnutrition, bleeding, a zombie, or all four combined. So there are a lot of problems with this plane crash and the timing of it, Jason, and the internet picked up on this right away after last week's episode. We know that, as Martin said, Jake and Alex got on the plane when planes were still, like, leaving. It was one of the last ones to go, sure, but it was, you know, civilization was still running at that point. And then in the last episode of Flight 462, we see the plane fly overhead from Nick's perspective on the ground, right? Yep. And that was, if I remember correctly, in episode three of season one, which was the episode right before the nine-day jump. So the plane is flying, it crashes, nine days go by, and then a few more days for them to escape the safe zone, find Strand, get on the boat and go out to sea. So let's say 11 to 13 days have gone by since that plane has crashed. That's when they meet up with the people, um, the the plane crash survivors. Now, Alex could have been, you know, maybe the cold open was right after the crash. And then um, Alex went to land and sure, nine days have gone by, 10 days have gone by, whatever. Maybe she's been on land all that time. Um, But that you have to then go with the fact that Jake, uh, Jake, was it Jake? Was all burned up, right? And he survived for all that time, all burned up. And you have to understand the fact that the big dude with his spine sticking out of his back was strapped to that seat for 9, 10, 11 days, whatever. So how does this all work out? Uh, I don't think it does. I'm I not think so this sure is either. another one of those <laughs> uh, issues that this show seems to be plagued with this season. And it makes me kind of sad. Well, I don't know if I would say plagued with because... Um, there may be some timing sort of problems here and there, but this is this is the clear big one, right? You know, yeah. they're they're going to have a plane that's in the air for a couple hours, a few hours at most, crashes. We know the time frame of the crash because we saw the plane in season one. You know, if they hadn't done that, they there could have been sort of plausible deniability that, well, the plane was later on or... Who knows, whatever, you know, nobody saw it crash, so we don't know exactly when it was in the air, but they showed it to us and then they did the nine days and here we are with a plane crashed and people who would have been dead long ago surviving. So, um, it doesn't work out so well. I'm pretty sure this is just a plot inconsistency, maybe a plot hole that we kind of have to just accept, but it is, you know, when pointed out, it's a little, a little annoying. It is, and it it that's what I mean by it. it makes me a little sad that this kind of thing is uh, is creeping up. Mm-hmm. And we've seen stuff like this before this season. Um, like what? Can you think of anything? Well, it was uh, we talked about this uh, the the last episode, I think, or the last uh, last time we did a podcast where you know there's uh, inconsistency when Nick was swimming under the boat. 
like how did he get to the boat so fast? Oh, uh, right. You know, Sorry, where yeah. was he? Uh, that kind of thing. There was another one last week that I'm trying to recall. Uh, no, you're in the, you're talking about in the first episode when Nick was, yes. the, the, the capsized boat was so far away yet he was right there and stuff like that. Yeah. Those ones. There was yeah. timing issues last week too. I mean, it was like, how did they get, uh, how did they get from inside the raft onto the shore and way to the other side of like into land somewhere? Where did those zombies come from? Uh, there was other inconsistencies, just stuff that didn't make any sense. We didn't see Nick uh, escape from the crab zombie, mm-hmm. uh, and he showed up all covered in gore. Like, mm-hmm. how did that happen? We didn't see that. Yeah, uh, I'm not so th- not as concerned with stuff we didn't see. Right? That's that's just them choosing to to leave something out uh, because it maybe isn't deemed as important to the story at that moment. Um, but if you know, it it would have been a problem if, say, Nick was like th- five miles away or something, and then he suddenly appeared back to help to rescue everyone. Right? right. That that's that would be more of an issue. But yeah, last week's problems. Um, while honestly, you know what they, I don't, I'm getting off topic here, but they they bugged me less and less as I sort of digested the episode over the course of the week. Um, but I know we did talk about it last week on the on the show. Um, but you're right. I mean, there there have been other things this season. It's just the the flight four sixty two thing is is kind of a big one here, and yeah. you know Dave Erickson, the showrunner, or maybe maybe been Robert Kirkman. Somebody said that the reason they did that was to to give people a little bit of a story and keep them engaged with Fear the Walking Dead over the break and over, right. while while they were watching the main show, so that they'd remember it and it would be fresh when we came back for season two, and that's great and all, but tr- I'd say just try a little harder to to <laughs> uh, you know sort of work it in in a more appropriate smooth way yeah you know i don't know um but it was a big deal a lot of people really really were like what the hell how's that how's that even possible so uh okay connie in connecticut writes hey guys i think i figured out the timeline for travis fixing the boat that neither of you entirely agree about and I'm including this message, Jason, mostly to just put to rest your theory that there was some sort of flashback or only one trip into the water. Okay. Connie writes, number one, Travis figures out the engine problem from from what I imagine is a Boats for Dummies book. Number two, he looks at pipes inside the ship, decides he has to go underwater at night. Number three, he goes underwater, gets jump scared, and sees the guy from the lifeboat trapped in the intake. Number four, Travis goes back on the boat. Number five, he tries to clean the pipe from inside the ship and decides he has to pull lifeboat guy out of the intake. Maddie and Travis argue because she now knows there's a future teabag zombie under the boat. Number six, back in the water. Number seven, bubbles and blood, but Travis is safe. And a number of people wrote in and said, no, no, no. It's, he was in the water twice. There was no, there was no flashbacks or anything. So I, I don't want to completely discount your, your theory, Jason, because it's within the realm of possibility. But I'm afraid nobody agrees with you. Can can I be absolutely convinced uh, without any proof whatsoever or with, with proof to the uh, contrary completely in my face? <laughs> Are you trying to say, can you believe one thing even with absolute proof uh, presented to you? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I suppose the answer to that is sure. Why not? Yeah. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and uh, still believe in the uh, the flashback. <laughs> okay. It's the only thing good. that makes sense to me. Well, I, he he went in the water twice. The only thing about Connie's rundown is that uh, she has Maddie and Travis arguing about the about going in the water 
after his first trip into the water. And that doesn't happen. They argue about it before his first trip into the water because it's nighttime. Right. Now, unless Connie is trying to say that those scenes were shown out of order, I don't think that's true either, though. So uh, Travis in the water, finds zombie, comes out, has to go back in, survives. Allegedly. Allegedly, right. <laughs> okay, a couple more. <laughs> Zach in Bulls Gap, Tennessee. Regarding what happened to the striped shirt fellow who was on the raft with Alex, I believe Alex killed him and threw him overboard after he gave her the choice of either taking care of Jake or he'd do it. After he gave her that choice, Jake said, it's okay, as in he's okay with her putting him out of his misery, and then the screen goes black. After that, Alex must have killed Striped Shirt, and the next time we see him is in the coolant intake port of the boat. So Alex had to make a choice between the kid who was all burned up and probably dying anyways, and a healthy companion who may have survived. She chose to kill the healthy guy. Yeah. Great, great choice. Yes, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, don't, I'm not saying don't try to leave both alive, but, uh, Jake seems like he was suffering a fair bit, although he did survive all that time. So who knows? Yeah. I mean, if the guy with the broken spine can do it, a compound fracture of his spine, uh, then, you know, he what's a little face a little, burn. Yeah. What's a little burnt face. You know, it's no big deal. That guy didn't have a spine connecting his torso to his pelvis i mean maybe he was camped out in the uh the plane fuselage for a week before he uh strapped himself back into a seat and then the plane shifted breaking his back mere moments before found being found is that possible <laughs> no <laughs> maybe maybe it was a flashback <laughs> <laughs> yeah chris went back in time somehow <laughs> And uh, found the fuselage right after it had crashed. And then when Alicia found him, she brought him back to the future. So the answer, of course, is time vortex. Time vortex. That's what it is. Yeah, the plane crashed in a time vortex. There's no other explanation. Yeah. All right, finally, Dan in York, UK. You are absolutely right that Chris's mercy killing of the plane passenger was one of the most brutal scenes of the franchise. And I want to give full credit to Lorenzo James Henry for how he played that scene. I've not really had anything much to say about his performance either way up to this point, but in that scene, I was right there with the character and Henry did a fantastic job of showing a hell of a lot of different thoughts and emotions in a very short space of time with just his facial expressions and very little dialogue. dialogue. It was almost Rick worthy, meaning Andrew Lincoln, eye, eye acting worthy. Eye acting, yeah. So uh, that's a good point. I mean, Lorenzo James Henry, as Chris, did a fantastic job. And uh, I think that scene made up for all of the characters' sort of whininess and annoyingness up until that point. You think so? Well, for me, it did anyways. I think he was fantastic in that scene. It was. It was a really good scene. And and I'm not as annoyed by Chris as a character anymore um, as I was in the first couple of episodes, after number three and number four. So that's good. I'm glad. They're doing some good stuff with him. Much good. All right. Thanks, everyone, for writing in about last week. Um, let's move on to our discussion of Season 2, Episode 4, Blood in the Streets. That's the title. And here's the description from AMC. The group lets a family in distress board the Abigail. Strand's past begins to come to light. Nick looks for an associate of Strand's. Very descriptive description. Mm -hmm. Tells us exactly what's going on. And now Wikipedia has this episode as being written by Kate Erickson. 
and I tried to find out if she is of any relation to Chauvin or Dave Erickson, but I couldn't find that information. Oh, they're hiding it from us. They may be hiding it from us. I don't know if they're related. She was apparently a story editor on um, like all the episodes this season, and IMDb does not list her as the writer for this one. So I don't know how accurate Wikipedia is right now, but uh, for now they've got this episode written by Kate Erickson, maybe related to Dave. Who knows? Could be. Okay, so Jason, here we are, episode four. This is the, the Strand backstory. Yeah. We get all kinds of information about what is up with him. Um, the first thing I want to just talk about generally, though, is is the episode structure. This one was a little different in that it actually did involve flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Actual flashbacks. That's right. And I want to read a quick email from a listener right here just to, to get us started. This comes from Rowena on the internet. And Rowena said that she was on the Fear the Walking Dead subreddit during the show. And she writes, a lot of people thought it was a flash forward and that perhaps Nick jumping ship when the pirates came on the board on board. Someone else thought it was a flashback of Nick doing a drug run. And a lot of people were just had no idea what was going on. Um, and, you know, I forgot to mention that she was just sort of commenting or the people were commenting on the structure of this episode and not really being able to follow it at first and being confused about what they were seeing. And I must admit, I was slightly confused at the beginning, but what I liked is that everything became clear and the whole thing came together by the end of the episode. And, uh, you know, when it was all said and done, I felt like it was a, a bit of a different style than the shows used before. And I liked it. I liked it a lot, actually, the way the way they told this one, not really giving us information, just showing us things, letting us figure it out ourselves, and then filling in some of the holes as the episode goes on. Yeah, it was a, definitely a different structure uh, in this episode, and I kind of liked it. I, mm -hmm. I liked the uh, having to piece that together. Usually, when that kind of that that kind of stuff happens, where they they jump around without uh, having title cards telling you that uh, you're in uh, Los Angeles three weeks ago or <laughs> right. Los Angeles six months ago, or, two weeks before, or you know, uh, so sometimes that can be jarring. But uh, I usually nowadays when I see that kind of thing, I try and have faith that even though I don't understand what's happening yet, mm -hmm. that it will become clear in the fullness of time. And in this episode, I felt that uh, I had that trust at the beginning of it, and uh, it paid off. That trust was uh, not misplaced, because I think it did uh, did a good job of, of uh, uh, filling us in as to exactly what was going on and where. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, I agree. And I like that they're using... I like that they're sort of writing it smart like that, you know, they don't have to tell us everyone. They don't have to give us on-screen titles that say what's going on. Um, th they don't have characters. Uh, you know, they do explain it. Like later on, we find out that, that Strand has sent Nick on this mission to meet his associate. Um, but we don't know that at first. And if, you know, in a sort of a lesser written show, they might sort of have that conversation up front or they might show us that conversation. So we know why Nick has disappeared and stuff like that. But this, this, they decide to just lay it out there and let us figure it out. And I think it's good. And I think this show is, um, is kind of smart for that. And, and I mean that like it's, it's a smart show and they're, you know, the writers are, are, telling this story in kind of a smart way. They're not hitting us over the head with anything. They're letting us, you know, just 
be part of it and sort of figure it out as we go along. So yeah. I like that. And that feels a little bit different than the main Walking Dead show too. How so? Well, I mean, the, the main show I don't feel like does this kind of thing as much. May, occasionally we get an episode that you, you see something and you're not sure what the context is or whatever. Um, but but I feel like it's just more of a thing on Fear the Walking Dead. So, right. uh, you know, I don't know why, just different people doing it, I suppose, and they have different styles and so on, but it, it works for me here. We never really got a, a, a flashback of this caliber in the uh, the regular show. Like we've had snippets of flashbacks. We've never had anything like this. Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. I mean, the only thing I can think of is when we were getting a little bit of Michonne's backstory. I think in that episode we had two or three flashbacks to her pre-apocalypse days. Um, But, uh, but, but even that, yeah, wasn't as, as significant as what we got here with Strand. But so, so you're right. I mean, this is, this was a, this was a Lostian flashback. You know, we got a lot of story that was taking place in the past. That's true. That's a, that's a good point. In a very different setting and environment and stuff like that. So, um, so let's talk about Strand and his friend, Thomas, Mm -hmm. whose last name is Abigail. (laughs) So that's, that's one thing we learned where the name Abigail comes from. And it has nothing to do with Strand's family or, or, you know, wife or daughter or whatever, uh, which everyone assumed is what the name was. Turns out that Abigail is in fact sort of a company. It's the name of this other guy he met. So, uh, the backstory is that, um, Strand and Thomas Abigail were, even though their relationship got off to a little bit of a rocky start with Strand stealing from him, they ended up working together and ended up in a romantic relationship together. And Strand goes to Los Angeles just before the zombie outbreak, happens to get stuck there, and then uses or takes Tom Abigail's boat to try to get back to Mexico where they have a, a property. Mm-hmm. And the business they're in seems to be real estate. So a lot of, lot of inf- good, good information here. And uh, we now know what Strand was up to. And we also sort of know why he doesn't know any much about the boat, because it's not his boat. Not his. <laughs> no, exactly. Which I was, uh, I was suspicious of from the beginning. Whether it was he it. didn't know anything about the boat. Yeah, he could turn it on and he could drive it. But, you know, you'd yeah. think someone who who owned that kind of boat. Although we talked about this, you know, maybe he's just a rich guy and he has people to handle his boat and he just goes out and sails it around and comes back and that's it. Right. That's true. Um, but I thought it was a pretty interesting, um, turn of events in that. So it's, we, we go all the way back to 2005, right after hurricane Katrina and strand is there because he's basically lost all of his property investments. And he meets this guy in a bar, Thomas Abigail, who is there to buy property. And he thinks, I guess, that time is now to buy property because it's at its lowest point and he can only sort of go up from there with his investment. Makes sense. Yeah, and then he gets wasted drunk and Strand steals his credit cards and everything from him when he takes him back to his hotel room and he uses those cards to try and get back on his feet because he lost his investment. Right, which is, you know, a good thing to do when you uh, take a drunk guy back to uh, a hotel room, you steal his wallet. Steal his wallet. And I think he said something like 30 grand or something in there uh, in cash advances he took to yep. uh, get back on his feet. So, Because why not? Because why not? Yeah. And then the interesting part is, you know, Abigail comes back to confront Strand about this, but instead of like calling the police or 
you know, whatever he might do, he forgives him and they end up working together. And then in this romantic relationship, I could sort of sense, I don't know about you, but all the scenes early on in this, in this episode, I could kind of sense there was something between those two, two guys. Um, but I thought, you know what, maybe it's just me. It's maybe I'm just reading into this or something, but then at the end there's the big kiss and they're holding hands at one point and, uh, that's it. So Strand, while he is kind of a dick, is just trying to get back to the man he loves, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's exactly what's uh, what's happening, is that uh, he found a, uh, met a guy in a bar, brings him back to a hotel room, f- passes out drunk, steals his wallet, steals 30 grand, and falls in love. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's a, a story of the ages. Right, and now that uh, he's separated from his love, he wants to. All he wants to do is get down to uh, down to Baja and uh, get back to uh, get back to his loved one. Right. With but here's the, here's the thing: is is he being genuine? Like Strand, you know, is he a master con artist? Is he really gay? Is he really in love with with Tom Abigail? Uh, I sort of got to think he probably is because why else would he be trying to get back there? I mean, maybe the draw of kind of the safety of the place is enough to take him back, but was he just using him for his money or manipulating him for some other purpose because he saw an opportunity there? That was the other thought I had by the end of the episode. Are you familiar with the term gay for pay? Uh, I am now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It is uh, porn stars that star in, uh, gay porn videos uh even some of the the biggest earning gay porn stars are straight but they do gay porn because it pays better okay well so there's so... a term gay for pay maybe that's what he's doing maybe that's uh what you're saying is that he's pretending to be gay in order to get uh to get the money well i mean strand's character is what i'm questioning here right he seems to yes he has let all these people on the boat I can no longer say his boat on the boat or on the Abigail. Um, And he seems to be helping them and he's taking him with them. What his intentions really are, we don't know because um, as we learn from Luis in this episode, only Strand and uh, uh, one other person, Luis himself, I guess, are the ones who are supposed to make it across the Mexican border. Um, So why is Strand bringing everybody else? I mean, what's going to actually happen? Who knows? So I'm I'm just questioning, you know, what is actually going on with him? Like, and if if he had nefarious intentions for all these people, and we don't know that he does, maybe he is kind of a bad guy, and he was using Abigail for some other purpose, likely his wealth. I don't That's know. True. Yeah. So I think there's probably more to this story. Um, and you know, maybe we'll get it. Maybe we won't. Um. Oh, what's the name of the actor that played Abigail? Um, uh, Doug Ray Scott. Okay. Doug Ray Scott. So, you know, he's a pretty pretty well-known actor. I knew I recognized him, but I did have to look him up uh, last night. You know, is he going to be on the show anymore? Is he a guest star? Are we going to get to Mexico and he's not there? I mean, I I don't know. So, and and I don't know if we're going to get more of that that backstory. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if we just sort of are opened up to more of Strand's character slowly as the season um, progresses. Right. With with relation to, you know, his conning and or not conning this guy. I don't know. Well, uh, yeah, we might get more backstories. Like, it's a good way to fill it in because we, uh, we didn't get a lot of uh, Strand's character before he showed up, mm-hmm. right? 
or before the uh, zombie apocalypse. So it's nice that we uh, can fill in some of the gaps. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Nick is kind of, and Nick and what he was doing is sort of related to the Strand thing, because apparently Strand sent him on a mission to find Luis, and I guess let him know that, you know, we're on the way, and uh, not to leave without me kind of thing. Right. Um, and this kind of makes sense to me, because we know that Nick, or uh, Strand brought Nick along because he said Nick doesn't fear death and he's a pretty resourceful guy and he knows his way around, you know, I mean, he knows his way around the cities and stuff like that. So I, I don't know how Strand would have known ahead of time that he needs to send Nick on a mission like this, but he clearly identified Nick as the right kind of guy to do this kind of thing. Yep. So it does make sense that he would, he would send him. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, during this cold open, even I was a little bit confused about what was going on because it was nighttime and Nick was coming out of the water and he was naked and his hair was hanging in his face and stuff. I, at first, I wasn't even sure who it was. I don't know if you recognized him immediately. Uh, I'm not sure. It, it's hard to tell in retrospect. I didn't not recognize him and I didn't, uh, I, I wasn't making any assumptions about who it was mm -hmm. at the time. I was just, I guess waiting for the story to unfold. So I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, I was watching it and I thought, is that Nick? No, it's not Nick. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I think it is actually. But the whole thing was, was pretty dark. And then I didn't really figure it out a hundred percent until he moves his way into the little tent city thing there a little bit. Uh, and we get a better look at him. Um, but I did enjoy the cold open. I thought it was cool. I thought Nick was pretty crafty in the way he was sort of, you know, hiding amongst those tents and then throwing things to distract that one zombie. And then the way he used the tent to hide inside and grab it by the face and stab it was pretty good. Pretty good. Um, and I now know why last week they showed us that Nick figured out how to use the gormiflage because now it's his thing. It's a thing. <laughs> That's what he does. Um, what I like about Nick and his gormiflage is that he doesn't just like put it on his shirt and a little bit in his hair. He, he really douses himself in the blood. <laughs> well, you know, if something works, you, you got to lean into it. I know. But when you think about it, like when Rick and Glenn and people on the main show do this, they put on ponchos covered in, in goop and guts and they hang like severed hands and feet around their neck. They don't really put it on their face so much. Nick like opens the, basically opens the zombie's stomach and like dunks his head in. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe he's a serial killer in training. <laughs> well, He why? just kind of likes this kind of thing. Serial killers enjoy bathing themselves in blood? There's, uh, they, some some of them do. Some of them are just, uh, just like gore for some reason. Well, so maybe he's just, uh, you know, a budding serial killer decide, or discovering something that uh, he finds enjoyable and pleasing. I guess. I don't know, man pretty gross i it think it's just gross. sort of inexperience with uh the whole idea you know he got pretty gore covered in the last episode so now he's thinking well i obviously have to put it all over me everywhere not yeah. just a little dab here and there you know well you don't want to be out in the middle of a horde of zombies and discover that you quite haven't put enough gore on so <laughs> yeah you know too much is never enough oh i should have used more gore yeah yeah you know how many times you've been in this situation where you, you go, man, I wish I had more gore. So uh, he just decided to put on more than enough. That way he just made sure he had enough. Yep. So what did you think about 
the fact that as Nick crawled up on the beach, a helicopter flew over and we got a really dark shot of what looked like other boats in the water out there. Yep. And then written on the beach in rocks or shells or something was the word save us. What was going on with all that? <sighs> yeah, I don't have a theory. You want me to make one up? Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. know. Like, so clearly there's still some human activity there because zombies don't fly helicopters. And who wrote the save us? I mean, I guess inhabitants of the tent camp, camp tent city or whatever. But why was there nobody there anymore? Like it seemed pretty empty. There was no one around except for that one zombie. You'd think it would be either all zombies or mostly people. You wouldn't think it was just abandoned like that. Um, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what was going on there. And, um, and yeah, I'm, I don't really have a theory either. And I heard someone say, well, he was right by the Mexican border and maybe everyone in the tent city had been taken across into Mexico, but... Bring your damn tents. Yeah, bring your tents or, I don't know, like is Mexico that much safer for some reason? I know they closed the border, but I don't know. I mean, are there no zombies in Mexico? I It seemed like there was stuff going down there and the helicopters patrolling around, so I don't know. I... I'm not really Maybe sure. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's what they mean by they closed the border is that uh, the Mexican authorities have this shit under control and they're not letting anybody anybody across the border because uh, there ain't no zombies in Mexico. Is that even possible though? Like, no, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. I I I really don't know. I don't have a theory. I'm gonna look to the listeners to help me out here because uh, I I don't know what could possibly go be going on, and there's something going on. Mm-hmm. Like, why the heck would they be? They looked like they were searching for something on the water. Mm-hmm. They had searchlights going. Were they looking for survivors? Were they looking for uh, floaties, uh, floaty zombies to, mm-hmm. to kill and make get them out of the way? What were they doing exactly? Were they looking for an individual? Yeah. Was somebody lost? Uh, did they drop their keys? And they're looking, and you know the boat keys that have a floaty thing. You got like looking for their boat keys. You got to have the floaty thing on the boat keys. Yeah, yeah. So, and and then how long you know was Nick swimming to get there, or did he take a boat part way and then swim the rest of the way? It's, I I I don't know. I'm not sure how to explain all that stuff. So, if if people have some theories out there, or or if there was information in this episode that that explains some of this, let us know. At the end of the day, though, I mean, Nick really just, his mission was to get to land, go to this one specific address, and meet up with this guy who Strand needed to get a message to, Yeah. Um, who then drove a really awesome car. <laughs> and then, I mean, I guess this was just part of the plan, this dude, not in Mexico, because he's the one who can facilitate them crossing the border. Yeah. So he's just been waiting there the whole time. Um. And I guess we're all supposed to, we're also supposed to understand that that's who Strand has been talking to on the radio or the satellite phone. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right? what I, yeah, that's what I assumed that that's, uh, that's his point of contact. Right. Um, and then just so nobody thinks we're unclear, Luis is basically, um, Abigail's brother, right? His mother, Luis's brother raised him and, um, Tim, shoot, is it Tim or Tom? Uh, Tom, Thomas, Abigail. So, um, and then Strand is of course the business partner slash lover (laughs) of Abigail. So, um, they're pretty tight, all of those guys. So 
even though we got a lot of information, I still have a lot of questions and <laughs> I sort of yeah. want some more answers, which I hope we'll, we'll get in little bits here as the, as the next few episodes come, come along. Um, but I did enjoy the stuff with Nick. I thought it was fun and I thought he was really crafty by killing that zombie. And then, uh, um, you know, it was, it was fun to watch. He's a fun character to watch. I don't know yeah. what it is. I agree. It's a good guy. All right. And then the other main sort of occurrence on this, this uh, episode was the people who invaded the boat and what yeah. was going on with the boat. So we got to meet Alicia's radio boyfriend, Jack. I was so wrong about that. I'm um, sad. I'm sad that I was wrong. I thought that uh, Jack was on the up and up and that he wasn't trying to manipulate her into uh, revealing her location. Mm-hmm. I was wrong. You were, I mean, I guess you were wrong, but Jack wasn't all bad. No, but that's because there's a pretty girl that he's trying to impress. Okay, so let me let me ask you this. Do you think that he decided that he was going to try to help Alicia and her family after he met her? Or was his intention all along to do that because he's a good guy? And he the only reason he was sort of there is because he's being manipulated and controlled by this Connor guy who's their leader. I think he had a job to do, mm-hmm. but I think he kind of fell for her because of, uh, you know, last woman on earth kind of situation. Well, that again. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you meet somebody on the, on the other end of a phone or on the radio and, you know, your prospects in real life are not all that great. Mm-hmm. kind of gravitate towards the uh, the voice on the other end of the phone. And then when you meet that voice on the other end of the phone, and it's someone who looks like Alicia does, yep. then uh, you kind of go, you know what? I think I'm going to try and save her. For <laughs> She needs some saving. She needs some saving. <laughs> if I can save her, she'll be grateful. And then maybe I got a shot. Oh, guys are so stupid. <laughs> guys are really, really stupid. So... I don't think it's a matter of uh, he's necessarily a nice guy. He probably did some really shitty thing to, things to other people, but uh, Alicia's another story. Yeah, but, I mean, then Connor gets there, and he, in some ways, displays the qualities that uh, that Jack explained. Like, like he Connor walks on at the end, and it, it kind of seems like a decent guy. He asks about Maddie's head injury and says, you know, couldn't you clean her up? You know, couldn't you help her out a little bit? I mean, I know he's supposed to be the leader and he, he then only wants to take Alicia and Travis because that's the only, they're the only people they claim to have room for. They're not taking anybody else. Yeah. Um, I think that's the reason anyways. Like, I don't think there's any other reason. It's just like, we're taking you two and that's it. But at the same time, they want to take the boat, right? So they do want the boat. Yeah. So, so what are they doing with everyone else? Going to throw them overboard? I mean, that does make, that makes them kind of a bad guy, but so he he's weird. I haven't figured out Connor yet. Yeah, me neither. Um, anyways, back to, you know, Jack. So he comes on the boat with Reed and Vita, the pregnant woman. Mm-hmm. And Reed is the dick in this trio of characters. Yeah. Uh, he, he's the one who's not afraid to shoot people and intimidate people and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean... He, he just about killed, he almost kills Chris. He, you know, is, is pretty mean to everybody. Uh, but in the end gets a spike through his gut. So mm-hmm. I don't imagine him to be around too much longer. Um, what did you think about the whole 
the whole boat invasion scene. I have a couple of couple of issues with it, but nothing really major. No, nothing major. I think it was uh I think it was well executed on the uh the half of the uh, behalf of the three people. I mean, you you you'd use what advantages you have. You have a a lady that's 8 months pregnant. Uh you take advantage of that because people are going to treat her uh differently than they would someone that uh, uh is just faking some kind of other injury. Like uh you know, a pregnant lady that's, you know, 8 months pregnant and is you know, screaming and yelling in pain, uh, your first instinct is to try and help her in any way you can. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, I thought that was very clever of them to manipulate uh, our our boat crew uh, into letting them on board without uh, too much hassle. Yeah. No, it's it's a good ruse, that's for sure. Um, it, you know, you show up, you show up with someone and say, he's got the flu, help us out, help us out. That's not <laughs> oh, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. He's been bitten by a zombie, help us out. It's like, no, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be a thing for us. Um, The thing, two things I had about it. One, on one hand, I thought the whole starting the boat thing was kind of dumb. But at the same point, it was it was it was the plan. It was basically a plan to to delay, to stall them. Right. And like if if Travis could run around going, well, I need to go up here and now I need to go to the engine room and I got to yep. work on these wires like it, it takes time for them for him to execute that plan, gives them time to, you know, escape somehow or for Nick to come back or or whatever. Yep. Um, and that's ultimately what happened. Right. They dicked around for long enough that Nick came back with Luis and Luis is apparently a a pretty good marksman. Yeah. So he shot the two other people uh, who had shown up at that point with yeah. Connor. Um, so so that whole thing was a a little dumb, and and I don't think it was dumb on sort of Travis's part. I just mean like I thought it sort of made Reed look stupid, and I don't mind that too much because Reed maybe is stupid, right? He if if he was really the sort of badass take control guy that he's supposed to be, I don't know if he would have been. I don't know if he would have let Travis kind of dick him around like that for so long. Know what I mean? I, I do know what you mean. I'm, I'm, yeah, I don't know. So it's, that's it. It's just, he, uh, he, it, it kind of felt like it went on a bit long. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be that much real time. Um, but I think Reed might've just started killing people or been a little bit more brutal about it, even though he was in a way pretty brutal already. Then on the other hand, I thought the way Maddie manipulated uh, Vita, the pregnant woman, was amazing, right? Yeah. Like, well, it was kind of obvious, but it was nice. It was obvious, but, you know, it's it's interesting thinking about how, as you said, using the pregnant woman to your advantage to, to get on the boat and fool them into trusting you for a second, well... It's just as awesome that Maddie was able to sort of talk about that pregnancy to get under her skin, to make her second guess herself, to put some, you know, thoughts in her mind that took her off the task at hand, which was guarding them. Yeah. Apparently you're supposed to feel the baby uh, move like, I think, six times in two hours. And if it doesn't do that, you're supposed to get concerned or that's what I heard anyway. I don't know. I don't remember uh, the rule from when, uh, my wife was pregnant all those years ago, but, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you are supposed to feel the baby move for sure. And if it hadn't moved in a while, I mean, Maddie knows this, she's been pregnant uh, a few times. And... Yeah. And when you're doing stuff, you don't feel the baby move. Uh, you know, fun fact, my wife is pregnant. 
Hey, congratulations. Thanks. I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping you'd bring that up. Well, it finally uh it finally. finally became relevant to the podcast. So, yeah, Jenny's uh, just entering her uh third trimester, so we're we're due in the uh, luckily <laughs> and I think the baby has planned this. The baby itself was planning this. Oh, was, good. Uh, I at, didn't know they uh, could do that in utero, but hey. Oh yeah, of course. Uh <laughs> uh that uh the baby's due right between the uh, during the break. Like after Fear of the Walking Dead and yes. before Fear of the Walking Dead and the regular show comes back. So uh, uh, the baby's got a plan and it coincides with the podcast. So that's that's nice. That's good. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. I'm not uh, because I could understand if if when the baby was born that you needed a little time off. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure that'll happen. But uh, yeah, so apparently you're supposed to feel the baby uh, move quite a bit. And if you're if you're doing stuff. Like you're, you don't uh, notice it as much. Yeah, when when Jenny's at work, she doesn't feel the baby move at all. But when she's lying down to to go to bed, the baby starts playing a samba mm-hmm. and doing somersaults and playing football. Of course, while she's trying to sleep. I remember those days. Yeah. Well, that's exciting. That's my point. Oh yeah, making a, a pregnant lady feel concerned uh, about not being not feeling the uh, the baby move in a little while, uh, and <laughs> talking about well, maybe the baby's undead. You know, maybe, you know, just because you feel the baby move doesn't mean it's not a zombie. Yeah. Maybe it died and it's a zombie now. So good luck with all that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I I just think it was just an amazing um, idea or whatever on on Maddie's part to just do that, to distract this woman. And, you know, it, it, it worked on. So they were, they worked, they functioned as a team pretty well here. Travis was delaying, installing. Maddie was putting insecurities in, in her head. And uh, Chris was just sitting there shitting his pants because he had a gun in his face so much. But I think it was good. Oh, meanwhile, Daniel is trying to get his, his uh, wrist bindings off, which didn't work at all. Right. <laughs> She's like, you need more time. You need more time. He's like, I'm working on it. But nothing happened. Um. So, uh, so that's it. That's pretty much this episode. I mean, a lot of good new information about Strand. I I loved seeing his backstory, but I'm I'm excited to see more of it. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see whether they actually get to Mexico. Oh, we should talk about Strand, um, abandoning ship. So how does this factor into his character? I mean, he, he's really just turned into an asshole at the first moment of any sort of, uh, conflict that guy's out and gone, and you know he he just left them there. Yeah, he just totally bailed. He's just like uh, he went into his locker where he had his uh, uh, assault rifle of some kind. And he went, oh, there's no clip, yeah. there's no magazine. Oh well, better get on a dinghy and get the hell out of here. Well, I mean, Daniel apparently took it right. That's the implication that Daniel took it because yes. they don't trust him. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So he. I mean, if he'd found that gun with the magazine in it. Things on that boat would have been a lot different, I think. I think so, too. Um, I think a lot of people would have died, probably on both sides. Um, but you're right. He doesn't find it, so he gets in and he takes off. And then he ends up in the water because they shoot the raft and he's sinking and drowning. Do you think – what's going to happen now that Maddie rescued him? Like, they went back for him. Did did they need to do that? Like, why not just let him float away on his own and take his boat? Oh, because they're not assholes like him. Like you can't treat him like just because, you know, turnabout is, is fair play, but you know, you can't be better than him if you treat him like he would treat you. So take the high road. Take the high road and, uh, you know, don't, 
leave him to die just because he's an asshole. And that, that factors into what I see as the theme or the primary theme of this season. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, do we help other people or not? Whether we agree with them or they abandoned us or anything. Yeah. So, um, I do think it's going to strain the relationship between everybody and strand a little bit though. Yeah. Um, and I also am curious to see how things play out now that Luis is there and, He's like, well, I, we only got room for two people across the border and there's like eight of us or whatever here. So what the hell are we going to do? Um, but I guess they have to get Travis and Alicia back first as well. Uh, that would be a good idea. So, you know, that's it. Um, this is a good episode, I, I, I think. And I'll be honest with you, we've had four pretty solid episodes in a row to start season two. I did enjoy this episode. I'm having, I'm feeling good about this show right now. Um, and it's it's removing a little bit of the bad taste left in my mouth from the uh, main <laughs> show's season finale. Right. <laughs> I must say. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So um, I was pretty happy with, with this one. Another, another good episode. Good. All right. Uh, we will take a short break. And when we come back, we'll do our listener feedback for this episode. Stay with us. I've been looking at the stars tonight. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Talking Dead podcast. If you'd like to support what we do here, there's a couple of great ways you can help out. One is to visit us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the talking dead. You can there make a small monthly pledge to, you know, uh, support the show. And, and every little bit goes into, you know, the cost of putting on the show and equipment and stuff like that. Um, we really appreciate everyone who does that. Just a quick note, there's, uh, you know, some stickers available if you pledge at a certain level. If you want a Talking Dead podcast sticker, and really, who doesn't? Well, who wouldn't, yeah. There's been some delays in the sticker production, but we will get those made really soon, and we'll get them out to you. So if you get to the sticker level, um, we'll be in touch for sure, and you'll get your stickers. But that's TalkingDeadPodcast.com. No, Patreon.com slash the Talking Dead for uh, our Patreon page. Um, even easier than that, though, is if you want to use our Amazon link, that would be amazing. Go to TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash Amazon, click on the country of your choice. You have a few options over there. And then when you do all your shopping at Amazon, a tiny little cut comes back to us, and it doesn't cost you an extra penny. In fact, you won't even realize it's happening, which is perfect. So thanks so much to everyone for using or visiting our Patreon page or using our Amazon links. Um, we appreciate every little bit of support.
listener feedback. Okay, now some time for some listener feedback about Season 2, Episode 4. And our first email here comes from Gemma in South Wales. Gemma writes, My holy crap moment was Nick, who I'm totally crushing on, enticed that walker to the tent. As the walker pushes his face against the mesh, Nick goes so close to him. It's like he's fascinated by walkers almost. Also, I thought Tent City, which looked cool, should have been infested with walkers. When Nick opened the tent and just went in without looking, I was like, Christ, look inside first, man. (laughs) But where did all the survivors go? Helicopters were still going over. Those uh, Were those survivors exterminated using cobalt? So that's another theory, that those people were just somehow exterminated and they're gone. Like, not even... You'd think there'd be corpses around or something, but I don't know. Maybe they're well, just maybe, vaporized. <laughs> yes, how, though? You can't just vaporize them without vaporizing tents. It's true. Tents vaporize quicker than humans, probably. Yeah, anything that would destroy the population would destroy the tents. Yeah, that is true. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's unanswered question as to what was going on there, why nobody was around. Maybe they were all just asleep and Nick happened to find one tent that was empty. <laughs> That's right. They're all sleeping. They're all sleeping, enjoying their evening, you know, after writing Save Us on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. Hoda in Annapolis writes, I love the episode. I really like the flashbacks and I absolutely love the fact that our gang really got a lesson in trusting other people. Strand has been telling them from the beginning not to trust others. And I think this event will really change the way they think. Daniel's known this all along. As we said, people are dangerous. People are very, very dangerous. Right. So, uh, you know, they're not going to trust anybody uh, anymore. Sally on the internet writes, okay, call me a sicko, but I'm kind of glad they didn't kill that guy who initially took them hostage. Too often the bad guys get an easy out and just get killed right away. I kind of want to see this douchey little fuck squirm a bit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think she's referring to uh, Reed, who got the spike through, or the crowbar through his belly. Um, I don't believe he's dead. I think he's just stuck to the wall with a crowbar, so he might suffer for a little while. Yeah, that sounds very painful. It really does, yeah. Yeah. Now, along those lines, sort of, Adam in Texas writes, so I really, really don't hope that Fear is going to copycat the main show with a strongman per season that they have to deal with and ultimately beat. I get that other people are the enemy here, but it would be nice to have a, it would, it would be nice not to have a rehash of Negan, the governor, Gareth, etc. So, I mean, Adam is just saying that, do we really need like a single bad guy here that they need to uh they need to defeat to sort of move forward do we need a yeah. boss fight in every season yeah and in in the walking dead is uh you know that's basically what happens is every they you know they move about the world until they meet somebody that they have to resist and overcome mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's always a boss fight so uh, i don't think i hope this show doesn't do that i hope it's something it's something else but mm-hmm. uh it sure seems to be pointing to towards that for now yeah. Like, this is the first time we've encountered that kind of situation. So it's not horrible, but mm-hmm. uh, hopefully we don't get stuck in a rut like with that like that kind of fight. Yeah. I mean, in in season 1 of the main Walking Dead show, was there a was there a big big bad guy? Not really. I mean, they were just trying to escape the city and then they made it to the uh Center for Disease Control and that was it. Just Merle. Oh yeah, Merle. That's true. He, he almost qualifies. Um, 
Yeah, that's right, actually. And But then I was thinking, if there wasn't one in season one of the main show, there wasn't really one in season one of Fear either. They were just trying to get safe. And then, uh, although you could, I guess, I mean, that, that whole doctor complex where they were holding people, I mean, that was almost like the big bad sort of scenario, maybe. Well, that was... Uh... Dr. Jenner, I think was his name. No, on the Dr. Jenner on the, I mean, on fear, like oh, the, yeah. where, uh, you know, they had, they had to break out Nick cause he was being held and that's where they met strand. Right. That was kind of the thing they had to overcome to sort of get to the next phase. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess Adam is referring to, uh, Connor cause he's the leader, right? So yeah. is he going to end up being really like a really bad psychopath guy kind of along the lines of the governor or, or Negan or somebody? Um, we don't know. We don't know yet. I don't know. It's, but they're obviously going to have to deal with them. So it does feel like it's kind of going down that path. It's too early to tell. It's too early to tell. That's right. Um, okay. Next is Chris, a Torontonian in Philly. Chris writes, the hostage scene wasn't really that intense at all. It had a weird vibe. The cast didn't really look that scared at all, even though it's the first time they've been taken hostage in their entire lives. Mm -hmm. Alicia was totally weird, too, and didn't seem surprised at all. The dialogue overall was just very strange, and it seemed like we were missing a whole part of the episode. So I wonder if Chris's feelings kind of stem from the same thing that that I was feeling just in relation to Travis kind of running around trying to start the boat, almost in a in an almost comedic way, right? Right. Like going to the cockpit, going, well, I can't do it up here. I got to go downstairs. So, um, just giving them the runaround. Yeah. Giving them the runaround. It didn't bother me that much as for the cast or the characters not seeming that scared. I don't know. I mean, Chris seemed pretty scared when he was, was he was about to be killed by uh Reed. I remember the first time I was taken hostage. It was terrifying. <laughs> it would be. It would be. <laughs> After that, you get used to it, though, right? So the second, yeah, the and third second and third time, times, they were, uh, you know, it was, it was still mildly unnerving, but uh, it wasn't as bad as that first time. <laughs> right. Oh, good. someday there, there's another story someday. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a, it's a fabricated one. That one's so. totally made up. Whereas most of yours aren't. Yeah, I wasn't more taken hostage as abducted. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> there's, a, there's a distinction there. Yeah, there is, because, you know, abducted kind of implies aliens, which I'm pretty sure was the case. Of course it was. Were you probed? Uh, Not when you were abducted. Let's not talk about that. (laughs) All right. uh, Another email here from Rena on the internet. So, wow, the abandoned beach camp would be an amazing resource to cherry pick supplies. People in that place would bring tons of essentials like food and survivalist stuff. I know Nick had to evac right away, but it'd be great to bookmark that in their apocalypse GPS. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing is there's a helicopter, so it's got to be pretty difficult to get in and out of that place unseen. I'm assuming the helicopter is, uh, um, you know, not friendly, but maybe it is. I don't know. We don't know what's going on there. I always assumed helicopters were friendly. Well, in normal day-to-day life, yeah. You know, if you need a helicopter to take you to the hospital, for example, that's a friendly helicopter. Yes. But in The Walking Dead or in the zombie apocalypse, helicopters, not always that friendly from what we've learned. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, but good point. Probably lots of supplies there uh, if they can get them. So they should maybe uh, keep a keep a bookmark. Um, 
Donna in beautiful, sunny San Francisco, where I wish I was, says, I'm still struggling. I added that bit at the end. She didn't, she didn't write that. <laughs> um, I'm still struggling with how I feel about this new series, but I have to say, I think that it's finally finding its feet. Last night's episode showed the right amount of backstory, villains, character, development, and action. I've come to terms with the fact that I might never really love any of them because they're not likable. Uh, understandable, yes, but not people you can root for yet. Um, and I think to that, I would have to say, Donna, the best things take time. I think my favorite albums of all time are ones that I thought were okay at first, but grew on me and got better and better. And maybe that's what's happening with this show and these characters. You know, what was the quote? I forget where exactly where I hear, I heard the quote, but the quote I really liked was, uh, uh, in life in general that I liked is, uh, good things take time. Great things happen all at once. That's a good one. I thought you were going to say, um, good things. Oh no, I lost it. Anyways, that's a good quote. <laughs> good things <laughs> take, uh, good things come in bunches. No, good things come in threes. Anyways, uh, great things happen. What was it? <laughs> Good things take time. Great things happen all at once. There you go. Uh, but that implies that the show's only going to be good, not great. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's the other way around. I think it was a movie quote. I think I'm quoting a character in, I think, Big Fish. You remember Big Fish with... Uh, Love that movie. Yeah, I think it's from Big Fish. I'm going to have to but go I'm watch it But I'm not really sure. I have to watch that again. Well, my point is that, for me, the best things, like best music album, the best TV shows. They're the ones that grow over time and get better the more you experience them. Um, not very often do you see or listen to something or read a book or something like that. Maybe more often with books, but like my experiences with music and not that often do you hear an album and are immediately taken by it. Um, and, and it survives the test of time, right? Like the ones that you love immediately are the ones that fade away faster. The one that grows on you and you get more and more out of as time goes on, those are the ones that stick with you. So I think Fear the Walking Dead is is doing that a little bit. Like it's getting better. It's certainly not um certainly not becoming tedious or anything like that. And I think they've done a great job with season two so far. And uh that could, you know, mean a lot for its longevity here. Maybe yeah. it'll maybe it'll keep going for a while. They've already I renewed mean, season three. Look at the look at the first. Go back and watch uh, the first. You've never seen it, but go back and watch the first season of uh, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation. It was it was horrible. Yeah, it was it was a bad TV show, but hmm. it got a hell of a lot better over time. Mm-hmm. People love that show. Yeah, including me. I know. I love that show, but I can't watch uh, Mission at Farpoint anymore. I can't like the the pilot of that show. It was such garbage. <laughs> Did you know it was garbage when you watched it originally, though? <sighs> I don't know. It was the hard 80s. To, hard to say. It's now, hard yeah. to, you know, my brain wasn't fully formed. Yeah. So I didn't know garbage from good stuff. I thought that, uh, I remember going to watch uh, Breakdance, the movie, and thought it was the best thing since sliced bread. And I got to put a cardboard down, and I started learning how to breakdance. Oh, my God. I am I am right there with you. I remember seeing... Uh, break. Are you talking about breaking the movie? Breaking, that's it. Breaking, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was that. I remember my uncle taking me and my friend. I think my uncle taking me and my friend to see Breaking, and we 
we thought it was the greatest thing ever so much that we couldn't resist uh, like getting up during the movie to break dance in the aisle of the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> that beats my story. Oh, it was good Lord, man. It was so thinking, thinking back, I'm like, I can't believe I did that. And I can't believe no one in the theater was like, sit down and shut up, you idiots. <laughs> oh, good times, my friend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. It was, it was right both... around when Return of the Jedi came came out. Well, that was 1980. It was 1980. No, 83, sorry. Yeah, 83. 83. Um, God, those were those were the days, man. Um, <laughs> anyhow, that's it. Fear the Walking Dead. It's a slow burn, and it's getting better. That's how yeah. I feel. Yeah, good. Um, where are we? Jose in Glendale, California writes, Holy crap, did you hear that? In the beginning of the episode, uh, Blood in the Streets, when Nick was walking through the tent city off the beach, you clearly hear... The Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege theme playing in the background. <laughs> and that's weird sort of by itself, because why would you hear a video game theme song on this show? Jose goes on, after further research, I found out that Paul Haslinger, or Haslinger, who does the music for Rainbow Six Siege, does the music for Fear the Walking Dead. So as a gamer, I'm looking for more musical crossovers. What is Rainbow Six Siege and how does that relate to the Rainbow Six, uh, original Rainbow Six video game and or novel? I don't know, which, man. Both of which I loved. I haven't read or played either of them, so so I don't know. But I'm, I'm sure the Rainbow Six games are just a series of games now, right? So there's one called Siege and oh, yeah. uh, um, I don't know. It's apparently really good. And Jose said the theme from that game was in this in this episode. Now, I don't know if he means it was like the note for note theme. That would be weird. I, I would think to put the same music in here, or if it was like a song kind of inspired by that because it was the same composer. Right. Um, I'm not sure, but he seems to say that it was the actual music. So, uh, interesting little catch anyways, in case there's somebody out there thinking, where have I heard that before? Now you, now you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people that make video games go, play the original Rainbow Six video game and make more games like that because I want that. That's the what game you want. was definitely not up everybody's alley. It was more planning than execution. Like the idea was that you were planning uh, a um, uh, a team of hostage freers. I'm not sure exactly what, like a, an elite team of military, paramilitary uh soldiers would go in and try and rescue yeah. people in hostage situations. Right. And there was a lot of planning. You'd have to plan to go up and then breach the doors at the same time and, uh, you know, what person would do what. And you, the best results that you got when you didn't actually take direct control of any one person. You just kind of oversaw the entire uh, operation. Yeah, it was a tactical game, right? You were yeah. You were sort of figuring out the strategy for completing the level or mission yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you, you could... You could take control and be and would be a first person shooter, but uh, that would be a mistake because you'd always lose every level if you did uh, just that. Got it. You had to tactically plan the whole situation. It was friggin' great. Love that game. Sounds good. Sounds cool. I never played it, but uh, there's a music crossover, so there you go. Finally, Christopher on the internet writes Holy crap, how many episodes are left in season two? AMC said it was going to be 15, but the preview said there are only three episodes left this season. Did I miss something? So. Uh, I watched the show live the other night 
And um, at the end, they always do, you know, scenes from next week on Fear the Walking Dead. And the voiceover in this case did say only three episodes left this season. And I picked up on it, too. I'm like, wait, what? There's supposed to be 15. Clearly, they mean only three left until the midseason break. Yes. But I'm not sure why they would say this season. Maybe because they just don't have a better way of describing what's going to happen with the break. Like only three episodes left in the first half of this season. <laughs> only three episodes left until we leave you hanging for three months. I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess maybe that's just what they say because that's what it is. I, I really don't know. That's kind of weird. It, it is sort of weird. I don't remember the main Walking Dead show doing that at all, unless I wasn't paying attention. But uh, it is kind of strange. But as far as I know, there are 15 episodes in season two. That's what they've said. And uh, that's their intention. That's what IMDb has listed. Um, Wikipedia typically only updates their list of episodes when they've officially been announced or when there's some information to post. So they have episodes one through six on the Fear the Walking Dead page on Wikipedia right now. And I think they don't have number seven because there's no title released for it yet. Um, but anyways, 15 episodes for season two. After number seven, we're going to get a break and then we're going to get eight more, um, which will lead into season seven of the main Walking Dead show. So fear not, Christopher. I don't think AMC has scaled back the season order. No, I don't think so either. I'm pretty sure they can't just do that once they sign the paperwork and all that sort of stuff. Uh, they're filming the back half of that season right now, if not almost done already. So yeah, there you go. Um, thank you so much to everyone who wrote in and, of course, everyone who listens. Uh, next week, we have an all-new episode of Fear the Walking Dead, and we will, of course, be podcasting about that next Monday night. Um, episode 5 is called Captive. So that probably refers to the fact that Travis and Alicia are being held captive by Connor. I'm just going to go out on a limb there. Do you think I'm crazy? I don't think you're crazy, Chris. Okay, well, we'll see. Who knows, really? Could mean anything. Um, but that's next week on Fear of the Walking Dead. So uh, continue to send in your comments and feedback if you want. And, of course, we will take a look back at this episode one more time next week. And uh, I must admit, I'm kind of curious to find out what the ratings are going to be for episode four to see if we hit our sort of plateau which is sort of a bottom plateau <laughs> or if we continue to drop, drop down, we will, we will see. Valley floor as opposed to a plateau. Yeah. Maybe it continue to floor out. Is that bottom, bottom out, bottom out, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure they're super happy that we're talking about how we're curious to see if the ratings <laughs> have bottomed out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so of course there you go. Uh, all right. Well, um, congratulations on, having a baby jason thanks very exciting and if anyone wants to email in potential names for the baby oh yeah we got lots of names name ideas oh that's good it, it's gotten to the point where i'm not allowed to suggest anymore <laughs> you, do you have a spreadsheet going no i don't have one well, it's not the quantity that uh, i've been suggesting it's the quality of the names that i suggest that's in question i see well um one of my daughters uh, this one's been completely ruled out, so I can say it on the air. What a, for a name for a boy? Uh huh. Burton Ernie, all one word. <laughs> Burton Ernie Miles. Burton Ernie Miles. 
Perfect. Uh, yes, it does roll off the tongue, but I can see that why that's sort of completely 100% ruled out. Um, my younger daughter suggested burrito hot dog. Burrito hot dog. That's uh, That was in the running for about uh, 15, 20 minutes before we completely ruled it out. <laughs> that's pretty good. 15, 20 minutes. That's long to consider burrito hot dog miles. Yeah, it, uh, it, got, uh, it got beat out by Chachi. Oh, so Chachi's still in the running. Uh, well, there's been some developments since then, so Chachi's <laughs> okay. probably not uh, in the running right now. Although I do, I, I I should check on it to see how it's doing in the ratings. Chachi may still be an option. That's good. Yeah. Um. Okay. Well, I think uh, if the listeners want to help name your baby, they should send in suggestions. And uh, oh my God. Okay. We maybe we should do this every week. <laughs> every week we should have Jason and Jenny's baby name update and see what the listeners want it to be. Well, the thing is, I can't actually tell you what the the, the names were. Well, I know using that in contention, like, you can't do that. No, I know nobody does that. But I think if every week we read off the top few name suggestions, maybe you'll get some really good ideas. I think that's actually a, a fantastic idea. All right, everyone, send in your <laughs> your baby names for Jason, and uh, uh, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl, so you're just going to have to use your imagination. Yeah, don't don't send in glue because uh, I've already gotten that one ruled out as well. Glue. Glue. Glue Miles. It's good. <laughs> All right. Perfect. This is why I'm not allowed to suggest names anymore. <laughs> you, you had your you had your fun and now it's over. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, that's why we need the listeners to do it. So uh um they can work in your uh in instead of you. Yes. <laughs> so all right. Thanks so much, everybody. As I said, we'll be back next week to talk about episode five. If you want to get in touch before then, you can visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com, click on Send Voicemail to record a message right into your computer browser, and it will go through the series of tubes and come to the email address. Um, speaking of which, if you want to just bypass all that and write an email, you can do it at TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. Um, you can tweet at us at TalkingDead on Twitter or visit us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TheTalkingDead. Until next week, everyone, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye.